0: all lowercase. That's Shopify.com slash tech.
1: Ransomware. Does that term ring a bell? Even if you've never heard those words, trust me, most of us have experienced ransomware one way or another. If you live on the east coast of the United States, you remember waiting long hours at the gas pump this past May. And that's because a hacking group known as DarkSide hacked the colonial pipeline. The hackers demanded a ransom for 75 bitcoins, which is equivalent to 4.4 million dollars. How did the hackers break into the oil company system? (laughs) Actually, it was pretty easy. Some employee used the same password he or she used on another system that was previously hacked. And guess what? Colonial Pipeline paid the ransom and the hackers. 4.4 million dollars gone. Just like that. The Justice Department was able to eventually recover half of the money. When we hear news like this, we mostly ignore it until we run out of gas and everyone starts freaking out. But once we were able to fill our tanks again, well, we all moved on and put it behind us. We often ignore stories like these because on the surface, it sounds like these hackers are just targeting large companies with tons of cash. They've got the money, right? But what if I tell you that the real victims here are not just the companies, but really it's you and me? What do you think happens if a company who gets hacked decides not to pay the ransom? Well, if the company doesn't cave in to the hackers' demands, the hackers will dump the company's data and make it publicly available on the dark web. By the way, the company's data is made up of your social security number, your date of birth, your driver's license, your health insurance information, everything an identity thief needs to financially destroy you. On today's episode, we're going to talk to a guy whose job is to negotiate with these hackers. And we're going to talk about how you can protect your information. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. The other day, I got a hold of some links on the dark web. I had to use a special browser called Tor in order to access it. By the way, we hear this term dark web all the time, but for those of you who don't know, the dark web is a network of private computers that can connect to each other anonymously. It's where pedophiles host child pornography, where terrorists communicate and do business. It's also a place to sell illegal items on the black market. But the links that were sent to me were equally as frightening. You see, the dark web is also where ransomware hackers dump a company's data when the business doesn't pay up. When I clicked on that link, I immediately had access to hundreds of documents. The first link was for a landscaping company. As soon as I opened it, I had every employee's social security number, salaries, and their cell phone numbers. The next link I clicked contained all the files for a Texas school district. I had access to school transcripts, grades, GPAs. I also had access to date of births, phone numbers, emails, and other personal information. I clicked on another link that contained sensitive health information from a medical provider who got hacked. Remember, every time you fill out a form at your doctor's office, Those documents are then scanned and then stored on a computer. And if that computer gets hacked, well, your private information could be out there for anyone to see. I'm talking about lab results, photos of surgeries, you name it. The last link I clicked was for a car dealership that didn't pay the ransom. It contained hundreds of their customers' credit reports. I'm talking about date of birth, social security numbers, addresses, credit histories, how much the customer gets paid a month, how much they owe on their house, tons of information. That scared the hell out of me. Is my information out there on these sites? Is your information out there? It's terrifying. And you might be saying, Javier, I never plan to visit the dark web and neither will most people I know. That may be true, but guess who can easily visit these publicly available sites? Anyone willing to steal your identity. Just to give you an idea, According to Cybercrime Magazine, it's estimated that a ransomware attack occurs every 11 seconds. And it's not just happening to big companies like the Colonial Pipeline. Most of these ransomware attacks happen to small and medium-sized businesses. That means your dentist, your chiropractor, the company that did your mortgage, pretty much anywhere you do business. So what do I do with all this? I wondered if some of these people even knew that their personal information was out there. So I thought I would call some of these customers to let them know. I opened up a random credit report from that car dealership and started dialing. The first few people I called didn't pick up. Then, on the fifth try, I got someone on the line. I didn't record this call to maintain the privacy of the victim. I introduced myself and told them about the episode I was working on. The man who I was speaking to was familiar with ransomware. He recently watched an episode of John Oliver on the same topic. I then told him why I was calling him specifically. I said, your credit report was leaked after the car dealership where you bought your car refused to pay the ransomware attack. He took a second to respond. I asked him if I could read some of the documents just to verify I had the accurate information. He said, yeah. I read his name, then his address followed by his date of birth and social security number, and his voice was surprisingly calm. I don't think I would have reacted the same way if the tables were turned. He confirmed that most of the information I read to him was correct. Then I read him his salary and his monthly income. I told him where he worked. It's as if I was a psychic reading him tarot cards. The voice on the other line told me that he was unaware of this data breach. The car dealership never contacted him. Even though this guy was calm and collected, I could tell that he was pissed. (laughs) I'm sure he contacted his lawyer after our call. That's what I would have done. This whole situation seems kind of hopeless, but it's not. Later in the episode, we're gonna talk about how you can protect yourself and your information. But first, let's talk about a typical ransomware attack. Meet Curtis Minder. Two years ago is kind of when we stumbled in the ransomware thing. He's the CEO and founder of Groupsense. His company specializes in digital risk protection. That means that he and his team monitor IT threats to
2: prevent ransomware from ever happening. We're looking for pieces of data, intellectual property, credentials, anything that is sort of private confidential and isn't showing up in places it shouldn't be. That's our core business. And the reason why companies want to do this is because those are the things that the bad guys use to attack you. (laughs) But these
1: days, Curtis Minder has taken on a different kind of responsibility, negotiating with hackers. You see, while poking around the dark web, he and his team
2: started seeing all these confidential files. In the course of doing this, we always see victims. We see data from victims that are not clients.
1: So he warned these businesses that a bad guy was in their network. Right away, the company's IT department started shutting the hacker out. They told Curtis Minder.
2: He said, hey, we started pulling on the threads from the forensic data you gave us, and it's a ransomware actor, and we started shutting off network access because we saw they were still on the network, and they saw us doing that, and they executed ransomware. But it was too late. The hackers already sent a ransom note. 20% of our systems he successfully executed on, and he exfiltrated a bunch of data, and now he's threatening us, will you negotiate? But Curtis Minder is not a negotiator. That's not what his company does. As I said,
1: no. But after some back and forth, he agreed to help them.
2: Ultimately, I got dragged into this thing. We ended up doing this. We ended up with a great result. Curtis was not only
1: able to talk the hacker down in price, he was able to retrieve all the encrypted information that was
2: compromised. And the cyber insurance and law firm approached us and said, hey, there's a shortage of people who know how to do this well, and we need your help, and there's a bunch more of these. Can you help us?
1: And that's how Curtis Minder became a ransomware negotiator. The point of this podcast is that a lot of people hear about ransomware attacks. They hear it and it's like, oh, that happened to a company that doesn't affect me. But what they don't realize is that if you don't pay that ransom, then all that data gets spilled out into the dark web. I've actually been poking around looking at people's driver's license, credit reports, crazy stuff that you don't realize. Ransomware actually affect Joe Schmo living on main street, right?
2: Well, and and, you know, I can tell you the ones you hear about on TV are the very, very, very tip of the iceberg.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And he's right. Like I said earlier in the show, smaller companies tend to make better targets. Why? Because they probably don't have a robust IT security staff and they probably don't have data properly backed up. So when they get a ransom note, they're left with few choices, either pay or don't pay. Both decisions have serious consequences. How does a company know when they've been hacked?
2: Most of the time, the the systems are inaccessible, email doesn't work, people can't log into their desktops.
1: In other words, the company is locked out of their data.
2: On certain systems, you'll find these text files that are the, the ransom notes.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask, because I didn't know if you get the note first and then they shut you down, or? No, they they shut you down first, so they'll they'll get into the network. Uh, Curtis tells me that weeks and months before a company gets that dreaded ransom note, the hackers are secretly working in the background, mining all the company's data undetected. They're snatching files, financial records, anything that will give them leverage once they begin the negotiations. And I'm using the term hacker loosely here because there's not just one hacker, it's multiple bad guys all working together to terrorize any given company. Here's how it works. Did you know there's actually a dark web marketplace where cyber criminals sell information stolen from company breaches to even larger
2: ransomware organizations? We we call them initial access brokers, just sell logins to people's networks that they've already broken into. Those folks aren't actually executing the ransomware, they're just, Gaining access to networks and selling that network access to the ransomware operators.
1: Then one day, when they least expected, the company gets a ransom note,
2: and that's when the pr- ransom notes start popping up on systems. That the text file it'll it'll be on several different, if not many, systems. The same note will appear. The thing about the note is a lot of misconception is it doesn't actually have the ransom amount on it ever really. And what it does it has a bunch of do's and don'ts. It says you know do not attempt to decrypt the files yourself it will damage the files etc. they say do not shut down systems because that could corrupt the the, the encrypted files and things like that. They also have some do's like do contact us immediately. <laughs> Here's how you get on the dark web so some people obviously you're you're astute Javier you've you've gotten on the dark web hopefully you you know done that cleverly and carefully.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Side note. I actually had a friend who knows what he's doing guide me through this.
2: He'll explain how to how to do that in the note. Uh, And they'll put a URL in the note that is basically a dark web Tor Onion address. Tor addresses. This is the same browser I use to access the files. And when you go there, that website is actually customized to you, the victim. And so that's when you start the actual interaction with the bad guys.
1: And, And do these interactions only take place over text
2: or are there audio components or video components to it? It's difficult to apply traditional negotiation techniques to these people who are it's happening effectively over a dark web chat most of the time you cannot read body language or tone and the folks that we're dealing with on the other side of this the adversaries are English as a second language sometimes the first level person you get on the threat actor side may not speak English at all because the person on the other side may be taking the English you're using and dumping it into Google Translate and the words you use may translate in Ukrainian
1: Quite differently. So I I come into work, launch the system, turn on my computer and I realize, oh, snap, everything's shut down. What is that company's choice at that moment?
2: Yeah. So unfortunately for many companies, the options they have on the table are pay a ransom, go out of business. (laughs) And that's unfortunate. I personally don't want to pay these threat actors either. But until there's a third option, what do we do?
1: In the case of hospitals or healthcare facilities, privacy is not their primary concern. If the hacker shuts them down, people could die. Last October, ransomware attackers hit the University of Vermont Health Network. Their systems were down for a whole month. They had to delay chemotherapy, mammogram appointments, all this while the pandemic was flooding their ER. It's not about going out of business necessarily, it's about people being hurt. But what happens when a company says, no, we're not gonna pay the ransom? And of course there's, there, there are things that companies can do to protect themselves. So the backing up their data, it really disincentivizes companies to pay these ransoms, if, if they, if the hackers like, Hey, we have all your data and you're like, so what I have a backup. Yeah. Do you, what happens at that point? Do you even need to negotiate?
2: That's a lot of data. <laughs> so the, the releasing of that data in a public fashion can hurt other people. We're dealing with the clients. We always try to talk to them about like if your business partner's contracts and data and everything gets dumped and your employees and what that's going to do for morale when their personal information is spewed everywhere. And what the bad guys have even gone
1: to A company could gain a lot of leverage by backing up their data, but the hackers know how to turn up
2: the heat on these negotiations. If they feel like they don't have enough leverage in the negotiation or it's not going the way they want. So they, they, they will start contacting your staff and your business partners on the phone. Like they, they, use, they use a call center sometimes and they have a script and they'll say, hey, look, we're, we're a ransomware operator. We've attacked your company. We have a copy of all of your personal information and we're dealing with your CEO and he is not willing to pay the amount to protect you.
1: Yeah. Man, that <laughs> is, is terrifying, uh, isn't it? It
2: is, it is bad. So there's a lot of reasons why you might still
1: want to pay something. So how much money are we talking about here? How much money do these companies shell out for these ransomware attacks?
2: If you're a mid-market business, let's say you're a, a 40, 50 person firm they would ask for 50 grand. Let's say the Fortune 1000, it it was in the single digit million, seven seven digits, right? It was the first asking uh, a year ago, and now it's in the double digit millions, uh, sometimes tens of millions, and sometimes it's just ridiculous. The bad guys are just being ridiculous.
1: It's Curtis Minder's job to bring that price down as much as possible.
2: On a good day at 10%, but it's usually between 10 and 40. 10% of what they were asking for? Mm -hmm. yeah.
1: That seems like like they're settling for too little if they know they got you, right?
2: Yeah, well, that's my job, man, is to to get that number as low as possible. This is not
1: something that you learn. This is a soft skill.
2: Even some of my team members have a hard time getting in the head of the person on the other side. And you have to be able to do that to to do this well. Curtis Minder and GroupSense actively recruit law enforcement
1: officers who have hostage negotiating experience. They're uniquely suited to do this, they've been through formal training. So how exactly do you negotiate with a hacker? Curtis Minder refers
2: to this as tactical empathy. The empathy part, the tactical empathy part is, I, I don't think you can train someone how to do that. The,
1: tactical empathy, what does that really mean when you're interacting with one of these hackers?
2: Well, I think I think uh, the way empathy is used in the vernacular in, in, in normal life, it's a little bit misused. Empathy is not sympathy, and empathy is not agreement. Like, we are not on the same side. Empathy is simply seeing the scenario that you're currently in through the eyes of your adversary, understanding their motivations, right? Like, what is their day like? Who are they reporting to? (laughs) What is their desired outcome? If you think about, for example, the person that you're dealing with, especially initially, probably 22 years old. He's working for a business in Russia that is run by the Russian mafia. There's probably some guy behind him in a tracksuit with gold chains <laughs> who showed up in a Ferrari this morning, yelling at him about his quota in Russian. Putting yourself in the shoes of that junior guy, he's not a bad guy. He's, well, I mean, he is. He's hanging out with the bad guy, But he's
1: doing a job. He's doing, he's doing his a job. job. Right.
2: And he has certain authority, certain capability. So eventually that person's gonna hand the baton to someone else. And you have to understand who that person is and why they're now talking to you and not the junior person. There's a little bit of flattery that that we throw in there. We acknowledge their capabilities. And part of the reason why we do that is a lot of times people think we're just negotiating for the decryptors. We are, but we also ask them for a report on how they gained access and building a rapport with them that, hey, we think you're a capable human and we want to uh, pay you for your capability, which is, in, in many ways, the threat actors are kind of pretending to be uh, business people, and you need to pretend with them. And things will go better. We'll start employing like, hey, look, you have, clearly have, you know, security skills, we would like to learn from you. And we're willing as part of this payment to compensate you for that. And, and then we're more likely to get the outcome we want, which is they want to tell us. They're like, oh, yeah, I want to tell you how smart I am. Here's how I got access. You know, I got to this domain controller, I used Mimikatz grabbed credentials out of the memory, and then I pivoted off, you know, and they'll tell you the whole thing. And you learn a lot. The other thing is, we're always trying to make sure they understand that at the beginning that we intend to pay you something. And so I call that planting the seed. We recognize what you've done here. We would like to work towards a transaction and pay you for what you've done. And, and then we water that seed throughout the negotiation, constantly saying, Hey, Hey, look, we're, we're not, it's, we're not in the same place right now, but just so you know, we plan to pay you. And so you're planting the seed to say like, I'm getting something. That, you know, the bad guys, <laughs> like, this is going to end in me with money. So how
1: long do these negotiations last? Is it a day? Is it a week, a month?
2: There is a clock that the bad guys throw up uh, that has a countdown once you visit that site. That's false. You can negotiate that. Right. Makes yeah. your heart race, right? When you see yeah, it. Yeah. And there's a bunch of threats attached to that clock. And and so if you're the victim and you witness that firsthand, it, it is a little upsetting. But I would say, like, on average, probably a business week. Is, is kind of a normal
1: you know, time frame. Sometimes these hackers are lone actors. It's just one person making the demands, but more often than not, it's actually a pretty sophisticated organization. You call them bad guys, you call them brands,
2: right? Yeah, yeah the, 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 the ransomware brands, yeah. And the reason why I actually use the word brands instead of gangs is because that is key to why they're behaving the way they're behaving. The, they are building a brand. They want you to know that if you pay the ransom, you will get the decryptors, and they will work. Because if they didn't, if people didn't believe that, nobody paid the ransom. And the bad guys know this. Call it honor among
1: thieves or some sort of pirate's code, these ransomware gangs are full service. They provide excellent technical support and even FAQs, you know, frequently asked questions. They want to make it easy for you so they could get your money but you alluded to the fact that these are call centers, these are they act very professional,
2: they do run uh, similar to a business they have, like I said, they have junior middle senior people, they have technical support, meaning they gave you the decryptors, you need help using them, or troubleshooting them, they have a tech support team. And, And some of them are actually pretty good. They're pretty responsive.
1: Last question. How good are you at
2: negotiating a car deal? Terrible. I paid way too much for my truck. It's a hilarious dichotomy. (laughs) But I can do it. I can do it with the bad guys. But that's all. Yeah, it's it's.
1: When we come back, we'll talk about what you can do to protect your data. So if a company that you do business with is compromised because of a ransomware attack, are they required to tell you that your data is possibly out there?
0: We don't have any laws about ransomware disclosures, right? You don't have to notify someone if, if a company has a ransomware demand. However, the data breach laws will kick in.
1: This is Eva Velazquez. Eva is the president and CEO of the Identity Theft Resource Center, a nonprofit organization established to support victims of identity and cyber crimes. Our mission
0: is to help people recover from identity crimes and, and restore their identity and to provide education at the front end on how to minimize their
1: risks. Okay, so let me tell you what I've been doing. I got a hold of some links that are basically just terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of of information that these hackers have dumped either car dealerships medical clinics Mm -hmm. uh, education institutions just all sorts of like small businesses Mm -hmm. that have gotten hacked they didn't pay the ransom and i have people's driver's license people's credit reports people's date of birth social security i have their transcripts i have medical information that I should not have, that this is all private stuff that's now out there. And I don't think that the average Joe knows that, that all their information could be out there. I don't think they do. In the case of the man who I called and informed that he was part of this car dealership breach, he was never told that his data was out there. Maybe the car dealership didn't know about the breach. Maybe they refused to pay the ransom. Or maybe they did know and were just trying to get their ducks in a row before telling their customers.
0: Regardless of what decision they make, regardless whether they pay it or they don't, there's going to be fallout. So they're not going to be able to keep it a secret.
1: So this is what happened. I have a list of credit reports and I'm just starting with the A's, right? And let's say there's like, 20 Allens, I'm making this name up. And I'm going down the list and I'm contacting these people just to see if they even know that their information is out there in in the web. And so I was talking to this one guy and he had no idea. And he had purchased a vehicle from this dealership that got compromised. And that dealership had not notified this guy. Are there legal actions Mm -hmm. that that victims can take?
0: Well, you know, that... Yes and no. The challenge is proving harm. And, you know, that this is being litigated in the courts right now.
1: And she's right. Just a few months ago, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in a 5-4 ruling siding with businesses and against victims of data breaches. The justices held that the individuals who have their data compromised in a breach must show tangible harm in order to sue private companies in federal court
0: just having the data compromised and out there doesn't constitute actual harm. This is really, really bad news for individuals, consumers, and victims. This is not how we wanted to see this go. So now this will use this gentleman, for example, that bought the car whose data is out there. Now he knows that he was a victim of this compromise. If he then turns around and finds out that, uh, a thief has opened up new, like, new accounts because all of his financial data was in there. A thief has opened up new accounts in his name. He might be able to prove actual harm there.
1: But again, the jury's out. I informed this car dealership customer of the breach. So now he knows about it. If he does nothing to take action to protect his finances, like freezing his credit, the courts may actually say he has no ground to sue. They're going to
0: say, well, you knew. I mean, we're, we're not being very victim friendly. We're putting a lot of the onus on the individuals whose either credentials or other data was compromised to have to take some responsibility there.
1: Everyone listening to this podcast right now is probably completely unaware that this is happening, but the onus is on them. They have to protect their data because they can't walk around every day assuming that a company has taken the proper steps to protect their data, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly, exactly. And you sh- and you shouldn't you should not assume that your data isn't out there. I mean, that's the reality. It is. And for the folks that think, "Oh, I've never been part of a data breach." I have to tell them, "Oh, you absolutely have." At this point, they've been happening for 15 years. Uh, all of us have data out there on the dark web. Full stop. We all do. It just really depends on what it is. But I operate under the assumption that they really should operate under the assumption that all of your static data, your critical identity credentials, they're out there.
1: This might sound like a stupid question, but I bet somebody who's not in your field or who's not an IT expert, they're going to say, well, if my data's out there, is there any way to remove my data from the dark web?
0: Yeah, that's the, a lot of people ask that, well, how do I get it taken off? And the short answer is you don't. The, the internet is forever. And so I always encourage people rather than spend your time thinking about how do I get my data off the internet or off that web page or um, focus on doing the risk minimization steps. And that's where I want you to put your energy. Spend that time freezing your credit and your kids' credit.
1: Spend and this, that time
0: updating your yeah, passwords.
1: <laughs> be proactive. Now, yep. I, I have a feeling that when people listen to this, they're going to be terrified. But I don't want people to be scared. I want them to be proactive. Mm-hmm. So what can consumers or listeners who are listening to this right now do if their information is out there in some of these data dumps?
0: I agree with you. I don't like to be alarmist. And I don't, I don't want to scare people either. So I always tell them, once you learn this, react, but don't panic. So you don't need to bury your head in the sand and say, I'm going to do nothing because it's too overwhelming. Do it in small chunks, small steps. So even though it's true that there are probably hundreds of things that you could do to better protect yourself, I don't want that to stop you from doing two or three things because the reality is... The thieves, they like the low-hanging fruit. They really like it when you bury your head in the sand and do nothing. That makes their job easy. Freeze your credit. Just freeze your credit.
1: Super easy. Super easy. It's free.
0: It's easy. And a lot of people grumble that it's inconvenient or it's this or that. It really isn't. It's a minor inconvenience that will save you from tremendous heartache in the future. So freeze your credit. Now free for everyone. And you can do it for your kids you can do it and and really stop child identity theft which is a real thing. Children have identity credentials and the thieves love them because you're not you're not looking at them. And the other thing is password management. Good password management can save you a lot of pain in the future. So a lot of people are in the habit of reusing the same easy password over multiple platforms because we just, I can't remember it. thats I, I need convenience. I don't want to have to type this long string. Even if you can't remember all of your accounts, you're much better off writing your passwords down on a piece of paper that you keep secured in your home in a, in a locked drawer in a filing cabinet than you are using the same easy password over all of your accounts. And those are two steps that people can do right away that will have this this very broad risk minimization. Access to your email is like the keys to the kingdom. That's where all you that's how you reset your password on all your other accounts. <laughs> and if you learn that any of these places where you have an online account have been breached, change your password
1: I'll have links to the major credit bureaus and some popular password manager apps in the show notes. Next time on Pretend, we have a story brought to you by a listener named Kim. Kim's daughter brought home a new boyfriend. And let's just say it takes a lot for this particular gentleman to win over Kim's heart
0: there's something off here. So I spent a lot of time trying to convince my daughter that Lee was a liar, that there was something wrong with this relationship.
1: And it turns out this guy has some work cut out for him. It's going to take a lot to win over Kim.
0: Lee is afraid of me. I mean, he told and I am afraid of your mom because he knew I was the only one that was seeing through his crack. I mean, his brother, her brother wasn't, her father wasn't. And he knew, I knew.
1: He had a secret to keep.
0: Yeah.
1: That's next time on Pretend. So before we go, I want to send a sincere thank you to Rachel Sincere for supporting Pretend on Patreon. Rachel, you're amazing. Also, as a reminder, I've added a new tier on Patreon. Not only will you get a screen-printed Pretend t-shirt that's super comfy, with a bunch of stickers, these new Patreon supporters will get the chance to co-host a Patreon and YouTube episode with me. Like Michael V, who played at the Air Guitar World Championship. People pretending to play guitar. It's brilliant. Apparently, professional air guitar is a thing. I'll let you know when that episode is out. So if you want to co-host an episode with me, just go to pretendradio.org and click the donate button. Finally, I want to end this show by sharing an indie artist that I've been listening to lately. His name is Cam Cocas, C-O-K-A-S, and the track is called Try. So go check out Cam Cocas on Spotify or wherever you listen to music.
3: And you show me things That I never knew yeah. Before I was here with you Thought I was grown and then I grew Yeah Hold my heartstrings a long way. Instead of ties, she's coming loose. The shoe was easier to move. So, what are you waiting for? Cause all the time we knew it's passes by, but we can make something new. Listen to me when I say what we can do. Is what we'll do. Give it time, and you'll find That you're not as bad as you claim to be And I will try to keep in mind A genocide soon out of eye.